This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Today's episode is brought to you by Happy Happy Joy Joy, the Ren and Stimpy story. Stay tuned after the credits for more information about this exciting film. And welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of the Animaniacast. We're here! No! <laughs> Brain, you're here. Great! And only 45 minutes late today. You leave. But, Brain, I, I'm the producer. Then leave very quickly. And welcome, everybody, once again to the Animaniacast. We are the only podcast that is dedicated to the animated series, Animaniacs. And today, we have a very special episode. We have our second interview with none other than senior producer of Animaniacs, Tom Ruger. (laughs) And if you haven't heard part one yet, uh, what's up with you? Come on, people, go back to episode 60A, and uh, it is well worth the listen. Uh, I am Joey. And joining me once again are my co-hosts, Nathan. Totally insane And Kelly. Hi there. And joining us once again is not other Mr. Tom Ruger. Hello, nurses. Hey, and everyone else. <laughs> well, uh, yes, thank you once again, Tom, for joining us. Uh, this is quite an honor. And uh, look, really looking forward to, to talking about the production of Animaniacs and Perhaps even some of the the secrets behind the, uh, the the show as well. So thank you once again for for joining us. Well, you pay me enough, and you'll get a lot more secrets. But, uh, <laughs> so at this point, you're getting no secrets. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm I'm more than happy to tell you whatever I happen to know, which isn't much. But yeah, well, let, let's talk about uh, this. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, Tom, last week we we talked about the initial pitch to Steven Spielberg. Uh, we talked about the, how some of the characters came to be uh, from, from you know, the inspiration for various people and stuff like that. Uh, today, I think we, we could start going into the writing team um, and how we really, how, how you really got those characters all together to, to help you out with, uh, with that. So, so tell us, uh, tell us about the writers. How did you meet these, these uh, folks and, uh, and, and get the Avengers to assemble, essentially. <laughs> Great. Well, let me preface this by saying uh, when I start going over the names of uh, many of the great creative people involved, I, I no doubt will uh, neglect someone or forget someone or leave someone off the list. So uh, by no means am I saying these are exclusively the people that did all the work because there are literally hundreds of people that were involved in uh, the production of uh, this series, but we had uh, we had some great writers, great directors, great artists, great musicians, great uh, storyboard people. So I mean, it just the list goes on and on. Uh, I'll say that uh, many of the uh, writers and artists and directors that uh, worked on Animaniacs had previously worked on Tiny Toons. Mm-hmm. So we had this incredibly deep uh, talent pool that we had developed over the three years of producing uh, Tiny Toons. And uh, uh, that show was really our training ground for Animaniacs. It it gave us uh, 
a great deal of uh, experience with dealing uh, with in dealing with funny, uh, cartoony characters. And uh, many of the artists developed specialties in certain areas. Uh, some of the directors really were great at uh, uh, dramatic moments. Some were great at little tiny comic bits. There were artists that, uh, you know, just did little subtle facial tics that could uh, get a laugh. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of the work had to do with casting each episode. So uh, I know that um, I like to direct certain characters towards certain writers and ultimately towards certain directors and even certain overseas studios because I knew who had a sensitivity toward certain material. Anyway, on the writing front, uh, Sherry Stoner, let's start with her. She had, uh, Sherry had worked hard and, and, she was very successful on Tiny Tunes and became not only a writer, but a producer on that uh, and, and a story editor. So Sherry was uh, a huge uh, talent and a, a huge part of the process. Late in the season of, uh, late in the Tiny Tunes season, she brought in uh, Deanna Oliver mm-hmm. uh, and Peter Hastings, who joined our Tiny Tunes writing staff, joining uh, like, People like Paul Dini and Charlie Howe and Earl Kress and uh, Gordon Bressack and Tom Mitten mm-hmm. and other really uh, successful writers on uh, Tiny Tunes. And so by the end of Tiny Tunes, we had a, a really great staff of super talented writers. Um, and uh, at that point, Nick Hollander joined us and he became uh, vital on, on the Tiny Tunes front. A lot of Sherry's contacts had been at the Groundlings. That's where Deanna uh, came from. She uh, met Peter Hastings at the Groundlings. And Sherry Stoner's husband, uh, Mark Sweeney, had his own comedy theater in LA called the Acme Theater. Hmm. And at the Acme Theater, there were uh, guys like Adam Carolla and and different people Hmm. getting their start. And two of these people were uh, John McCann and Paul Rugg. And uh, they were eager, they were hungry, and they they uh, were very, very funny. I went to see their shows and I said, oh, my gosh, these guys, if we can tap into these guys' creative, funny minds into animation scripts, we'd be in really good shape. So once the show was green lit, and I, I mean, like, the minute this thing was green lit, we hired Paul Rugg and John McCann to each do one freelance script uh, for the Warner Brothers. And they were very successful and very funny. And they helped find uh, like a voice uh, for the Warner characters. And um, so those were two uh, crucial hires that were new uh, at Warner Brothers Animation. Of course, Charlie Howe and uh, Gordon Bressack were a team. They did a lot of great work uh, on, on the Warner's characters. So we really did cast... Uh, the show with the writing. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we went to Sherry a lot for uh, for Slappy. We went to Paul Rugg a lot for uh, the Warners. We went to Peter a lot for Pinky and the Brain, and almost and and of course Deanna almost exclusively did the Good Feathers, and and all the others were sort of uh, they they could do them all. Uh, McCann could do every one of that uh, group. Uh, all the different characters and not that uh, Paul and Peter and Sherry couldn't do the other uh, 
episodes. They could, they wrote great ones, but they became specialists at certain characters. Uh, similarly, the directors and, and the artists uh, sort of gravitated towards specific character groups. Um, but I mean, for instance, Peter was great at uh, thinking the brain, but then he wrote uh, King Yakko, which is one of our very best half hours. And he also uh, uh, really um, made that uh, Tiger Prince segment come alive. So uh, Paul Rugg was a, a, a Warner's and uh, Warner Brothers and Dot expert, and yet he wrote uh, just very hilarious material for uh, lots of the other characters. Anyway, so really the beauty of uh, the writing team on Animaniacs is that many of them had had three years of experience on Tiny Toons. So uh, working on Animaniacs was a, a very uh, smooth transition. So Tom, tell us, when it comes to the writing, the writers' meetings, was there a was there a specific uh, way that these episodes were written? I know you said that you you pieced them out, you know, different characters to different writers, but did you workshop this uh, these scripts at all, or did you just kind of say like, uh, you know, go out and see what you can do, and then come back and let's discuss? How does that how does that all happen? We uh, we basically sent people. Uh, we had an office, and we would get together every day at the office and talk about what scripts we were working on, what stories we were working on. And uh, on days that we had to be busy writing, we wouldn't get together. We would be busy writing. Uh, we didn't gang up on these stories. Uh, mm -hmm. Individuals were assigned specific stories. And normally the concept would be uh, someone would come in with an idea for an episode and, uh, I'd say, yeah, let's do that one. Or I'd say, gee, I don't know. That's not making sense to me. And uh, so, you know, Peter might come in with several pinking the brain ideas. Paul might have some uh, uh, Warner ideas. Sherry might have a, a, a slappy idea where uh, something happened at home and she thinks it's a good slappy idea. And But we didn't beat the stories up in a meeting. We just said, well, run with it and, and see what happens. And these writers are so talented and funny. Uh, in, in a week or two, they'd come in with uh, a, a short script uh, written out. And uh, then uh, I'd go over it with them. And uh, Sherry and Paul would story edit a little. And, uh, and we'd have a, a finished script in a matter of uh, a couple weeks. Th these are shorts we're talking about. Yeah. So each, each writer was taking uh, his or her own time uh, in developing these stories. We tried to avoid writing outlines because we all hate writing outlines. <laughs> so we would, uh, we would get a premise going, uh, you know, and honestly, it would always start with just the notion of an idea. And uh, then uh, the writer uh, would say, yeah, that's a good idea. And the writer would write up a one-page premise, hopefully shorter than a page, maybe a paragraph, and we would share that with uh, the folks at Amblin and with Stephen. And we'd often send like a pack of premises, just a big wad of them. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'd send 20 and we'd, they'd, they'd like 10 of them. And uh, then we'd get these premises. And then, then maybe uh, Paul got three through and Peter got two and Nick got one and Sherry got one. 
and uh, maybe uh, one of the other writers didn't get anything through, so we would say, well, you take one of these, and that's how we would turn these babies out. We talked to Paul Rugg, or at least messaged him uh, about a year ago about his writing process, and he talked about how the, the script writing was sometimes hard because he had never written animation, and it took him a, a ages to figure out camera angles and scene direction because back then the writers were expected to include uh, like storyboard directions and things like that. Is is uh, how, how was that a challenge for everybody or how and how has that changed if at all? Well, it, that was my sort of uh, directive because <laughs> I felt I felt I could. Uh, help the writers out, make sure they got their vision on the page. And I encourage them to say, basically, tell me what you're seeing and what you're hearing. So I, I like the visuals to be very uh, carefully explained, almost to the point of saying if, if the character is going from left to right, you know, because mm -hmm. in my head, when I'm writing it, I'm seeing what I'm writing. And then when I get the board back and it's going right to left, it's like, uh, no, the whole show, the whole episode is going in the wrong direction. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I did encourage the uh, writers to put in plenty of detail. And when they wanted a close up, when they wanted a reaction shot close up, put it in. Uh, not that every board artist would uh, follow all of these uh, directives, but it, it, it did give plenty of, I think, solid guidance. And I, I honestly would. Uh, if the shots weren't in it, I would often just kind of edit them in. And anyway, I think it, I think the process kind of worked. We were we were pretty uh, specific about what we wanted to see in the scripts. Okay, Nathan Kelly, any questions about the writing? Do you want some submissions of writing? No. <laughs> <laughs> you taking submissions? What, what have you written, um, Nathan? <laughs> I nothing, but I can write something. I can write something real quick. I know that it's uh, where where I'm where I've been working lately. I'm working at Disney, and they like uh, see I our scripts like for a half hour it'd be fifty pages. Now that's I guess I'm getting the impression that's unheard of today. Uh, a half hour script would be maybe uh, thirty six pages, and I, I'm just getting warped up by thirty six pages. So uh, yeah, I. <laughs> I like the detail. I like the shot breakdown. Uh, and, I, and I think it paid off with Animaniacs. I think today, mm -hmm. uh, you know, any script that, uh, that I've written for like an 11 that's uh, over 18 pages, it's like, oh, no, you have to cut it, you have to cut it. Hmm. And uh, see, I think Animaniacs moved at a pretty quick pace, so I didn't have to cut it back then. Well, yeah, and you can tell. I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head how you're talking about close-ups and this and that. Uh, I'm thinking of cartoons today. It seems like a lot of it is just a you know faraway shot for for a lot of uh, you know of the scenes. You don't get those quick close-up shots like uh, a shot to Yakko, you know, raising his eyebrows at the camera and things like that. Well, yeah, but we back then also we had a lot of. That. I mean. If you look at some of the uh, lesser Scooby episodes, there's a lot of people just proscenium arch running around back and forth. So that was going on back then, too. <laughs> um, well, this, this is brought up quite often uh, when it comes to writing, and that is uh, adult innuendo. 
uh, and how you were able to, as writers, like how did that all come about? And uh, was there any pushback from the, the the censors? I mean, they're mentioned every now and then on the on the show, but uh, tell us so about honestly, that. Honestly, uh, most of it is very uh, pretty basic and innocent material, and it's just at the recording session there'll be so much clowning around and, and uh, it, something will be said that in the script looks plain and vanilla, but the way it gets said sounds a little bit racy. And then you just inject Yakko saying, good night, everybody. And, <laughs> and you have kind of a dirty joke on your hand. Uh, that's really, uh, if you look at those, the, the funny lines that we say, oh, those are racy. If we didn't have this sort of after comment, the like, uh, you know, good night, everybody, or, you know, and the little raised eyebrow or, I, you know, without that, I think the joke would fly past pretty quickly. But we had the uh, wherewithal and the, the savviness to point at the, the kind of foul <laughs> joke and say, hey, look what we got away with. <laughs> Are you missing Baywatch? But we have a very, 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 very important question to ask you. All right. Well, I think it's time right now to get into some questions and answers here from our listeners and uh, and and honestly from from me, Nathan and Kelly as well, <laughs> because <laughs> because we have many questions and we're going to see if uh, if we can stump Tom or if he's able to. <laughs> To answer, so we have the lie detector on him right now, remotely. We'll be able to determine if he's telling the truth or not. Um, so, Tom, the first question I have is is uh, not really Animaniacs related, but when I was uh, editing the, the 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 sound clips and everything like that from our, our previous interview, I was trying to find stuff of Platypus Duck, your your first uh, your first cartoon, and. It took me a little while. I, of course, did find the, the cartoon. There is a there is a scan of it out there that uh, you know is is reasonably good. It's it's not the it's cl- horrible. Yeah, it's, horrible. It, it's yeah. They, yeah, you you. you <laughs> there's there's some shots no, that are very it washed out. It shouldn't be out there. I don't know who put that out there. That's horrible. <laughs> uh, well, it it's, it is up there. You know, not underwater. <laughs> it, it it is. Yeah, some some of the color is just like what is going on in this scene right now. But uh, I don't know. Anyway, but. Uh, but one of the things that, that popped up right away was uh, Platypus Duck's appearance in 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. And yes. in this cartoon, uh, Scooby and uh, – let's see. Scooby – I think Scooby, Scrappy, Daphne, uh, and Shaggy. Shaggy. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're all transported into a comic strip. That's uh, correct. Called – By Zamba? By Zamba? I think so. God, I think the, I, the villain is Zamba. Yeah, yeah. It gets transported into this this comic strip. The comic strip is called, I believe, Platypus Duck. And the comic strip is written by Tom Ruger. <laughs> so, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to actually put your name down on that. Uh, I was just curious, how did how did that go about? I believe, and I the man's voice is escaping me. I know he was on uh, oh, your— Oh, it was Howie Morris. Yes, from uh, your show of shows. And, uh, right. and uh, of course, Nathan, you know him from uh, Garfield and Friends. He played Wade the Duck oh. and uh, Professor, okay. Professor Little Old Man in uh, High Anxiety. Anyway, <laughs> but he voices— Little Oldman. Yeah, Little Oldman. Uh, but 
He voices Platypus stuck in this, and I got to tell you, Tom, this that song, my goodness, it got it got stuck in my head. Just the wark, grape wark, ape. Wark. That's the grape ape song. Is it? You know that right? It, it, it's yeah. just retuned. That's the grape ape theme song that I just I went through all the theme songs at Hanna Barbera, all the pieces of music that they would let me use, and I said, oh, I'll use that one. Oh, so you just <laughs> reworded that? Oh my goodness! Wark, wark, wark. I'm Platypus duck. Yeah. Oh man. You're in the funny papers, honey. The funny papers. Is there an echo in here? That no good demando must have done this to us. But how do we get out of here? Don't care for the food, huh? Maybe you should talk to the owner. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Why, the star of this strip. Who else? Platypus Duck. My hero. Howdy, folks. What's the good word? I've got a beak, but I'm not a bird. I'm a mixed-up mammal and a crazy cluck. Quack, quack, quack. I'm platypus duck. Hiya, Scooby. How do you do? Why? I hear you got yourself in quite a stew. <laughs> so let me help you out of your bad luck. Quack, quack, quack. I'm platypus duck. I can take you to the wacky wizard. He's always helping people in a jam. But if we run into the lousy lizard, everybody better scram. Let's hit the river and away we roam to find the wizard who can send you home. We can make it with a little bit of luck. Quack, quack, quack. I'm Platypus Duck. Yes, Howie, Howie Morris. And that cartoon, the, the, the Scooby cartoon in which he uh, appears, is, uh, he's painted so incorrectly that I, I actually can't watch that cartoon. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I expected it to look okay, but then when it came back from overseas and he was just painted so wrong, I was like, oh, come on. Oh. And the voice, by the way, uh, as much as I love Howie, uh, doesn't fit for me. Mm. But anyway. Yeah, I, he's not supposed to be, uh, uh, he's not really a zany character in my head. Uh-huh. But anyway, I, Hanna-Barbera, I was working there with Mitch Shower. Mitch suggested we put Platypus Duck in it, and I went to the legal department there, and they we signed, a, I signed a release that would allow him to be in this cartoon, but I wasn't giving them ownership of Platypus Duck, which, you know. Uh, I, I own it, but it's not making, uh, it's not like he's uh, <laughs> taken over the world. Uh, but uh, I will tell you a quick story about Howie Morris. Uh, so Howie Morris was doing a, a cartoon for us at Hanna-Barbera. Uh, it was called um, The Good, The Bad, and The Huckleberry. And he was playing the voice of Dinky Dalton. And we were in the booth, and he was recording Dinky Dalton's laugh. And he was going... Uh, sort of like a stupid Woody Woodpecker. Uh-huh. And uh, Joe Barbera had told uh, me and my co-writer, uh, John uh, Luden, that now when you get Howie in there, I want you to have him do Dinky Dalton's laugh like this. <laughs> okay, Joe. All right. Now make sure it's exactly like that. <laughs> said, All right, Joe, you got it. So there's uh, Howie Morris in the booth doing his dinky Dalton. He's doing. <laughs> and so uh, at the end of the recording, 
we have pickups. We have the, the and so we we go to Howie and say, Howie, can you give us a dinky uh, with this laugh that Joe Barbera wants? And and Howie just said, No, I'm not going to do that. I don't like that laugh. It's a bad laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, Oh, gee, Howie, please, you know. And we really we had to cajole him, and 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 it just went on forever. So he finally gives us begrudgingly. Uh, and he's done and he's leaving he's walking out and he looks in uh, the room and I want to and he's mad and I want to calm him down and I told him a true story that uh, I said Howie before you go and it's like pissed <laughs> Howie I want to tell you something that uh, uh, on April 3rd 1954 you were on your show of shows and my parents were at home watching your show of shows. And you did this skit where you played Uncle Goopy. And uh, it was a This Is Your Life skit with, with uh, Sid Caesar as the, the subject of This Is Your Life. And you played as Uncle Goopy. And you, you guys were hugging each other and kissing each other. And yes. it was like humping your leg. And it was like the funniest sketch my parents had ever seen in their lives. And my parents were at home watching this thing, and they literally fell off their chairs laughing. And at that moment, my mother broke her water, and I was born two hours later. <laughs> and Howie looks at me, and he says, My laugh was funnier! <laughs> my laugh was funnier! <laughs> anyway, he did not... He did not appreciate my wonderful tale of, of <laughs> laughter and birth. Oh, anyway, that's, a, that's a great story. That's, uh, uh, yeah, that's my re response to Platypus Duck in the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. So I have a question from uh, at T Tommy Diaz Millen on Twitter, and he wants to know uh, how the decision was made to make the Warners an unknown cartoon species. I know last time we were talking about they're originally going to be ducks, so... Yeah, yeah, well, this show, you know, I was given a lot of freedom to create this show and, and, and build it, uh, and at that point, uh, we had, uh, Sherry and Deanna had done a couple of really great, uh, they had written a couple of really great Tiny Tunes Two-Tone Town and uh, with, with Bosco and Honey, and there's another one with Foxy. And uh, so these were uh, Warner Brothers characters from the early 30s that uh, we sort of brought back. So, uh, and of course, we all know in the early 30s, there were other sort of, uh, you know, rubber hose type animation cartoon characters, uh, Mickey Mouse. There were Oswald the Rabbit, and there were cats and dogs and mice and foxes and sort of every kind of animal that you'd imagine, uh, ducks and things. So we thought they all, and they all look the same. They're like mm -hmm. the same animal, but oh no, that's a duck, that's a dog. So we thought, well, you can't really tell what these things are most of the time. So we said, let's do ones that you really can't tell what they are. You have no <laughs> idea what they are. And uh, that's what we went with there. And uh, it, it it works really nicely because it makes them sort of universal cartoon characters. They are like uh, uh, almost generic cartoon characters, but they have a lot of personality. I see. Yeah. It seems like you can kind of make them a dog if you need to, or, you know, 
Well, that's the, the uh, cute the song creature. that uh, they, they Warner sing. Yeah. We are dogs, little dogs, but they're not. They're just cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, but yeah, like watching the show so far, we're, we've decided that the, the most references they make to each other are, you know, cute little puppy children or something, you know, like. <laughs> little puppy children. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's Paul Rudd. Oh, little puppy boy, go away, you scare me. Me? I make with fright, I scare. When you want to scream, put away that frown and never be scared of a clown. Laugh on and on and on. I wish the ground was mushy and soft. This question is from Taki, uh, Taki Nikov. Uh, what is your best Paul Rugg memory? Well, Paul Rugg is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. He makes me laugh uh, as much as anyone on the planet. So uh, there are a lot of very happy and funny uh, memories with Paul. I think uh, just one of the most bizarre memories I ever had uh, is after I met Paul and after he was doing Freakazoid, and he would do different funny sort of permutations on characters. And we had a Paul Harvey character in Freakazoid. Yes. Who, uh, uh, Paul did the voice for, for Paul Harvey, uh, and it was, a, and uh, I, I can't do it, but uh, <laughs> now you know. there was a thumbtack on my fanny. <laughs> and he was just, and that plucky Freakazoid. And so Paul did this beautiful uh, Paul Harvey. Now, turns out Paul picked that up from working at KABC here in Los Angeles, where Paul Harvey had a regular news uh, commentary each day. He was working at KABC, and he met Paul Harvey, and he would do Paul Harvey as a joke for his pals. So at some point, they taped Paul doing it, and literally years later, when he's working at Warner Brothers at Freakazoid, I'm driving home, and... Uh, on KABC, like right before the news, they'll have some like voice say something. Uh, this is KABC, and then they go to the, the the national news. But right in between there, they said they had you could tell it was, it was Paul Rudd going. There's a thumbtack on my fanny, <laughs> and it was it sounded just like it, we had, they had come out of a, a a Paul Harvey bit. So they had retained these Paul Rudd bits on KABC for years to come. I think there's a thumbtack under my fanny. Uh, I don't know if that's my favorite Paul Rudd story, <laughs> but there are, are many. He he uh, he did uh, occasionally uh, go off in his room to write a script, and it, it, it would sometimes torture him because he wanted it to be. He really had a, le- a high level. The bar he set the bar high for his own uh, writing output, his comedy output, and. When it didn't come through, as far as he was concerned, when the comedy wasn't being delivered, he really took it hard, and he was very hard on himself. So he was working on this one script, this Cookies for Einstein script, for longer than normal. You know, maybe he usually would take two weeks. He was taking maybe three weeks or maybe into four, and it was really killing him. And uh, and then one day. He just like came out and it was like you could hear angels singing and he had this like epiphany where he uh, discovered that the word Acme (laughs) written backwards could 
spell out E equals MC squared. And that was, I think, one of the most brilliant cartoon uh, creations uh, I've ever seen. And it came out of the blood and sweat uh, of Paul's brain. <laughs> and uh, it really is a, a brilliant little uh, epiphany. How can I eat cookies when the theory of relativity has escaped me? It's all wrong, all wrong. I am a failure. Einstein is a dummy. Stupid Einstein dummy boy. Hey, Einstein! Whenever we're feeling blue, here's what we always do. When your face is long, sing the acne song, you'll feel so fresh and new. There's the A, that's first, there's a C, that's next, there's an M, you're almost done. There's the E, it's last, now spell it out, A-C-M-E, that's fun. Now backwards! There's the E, that's last, there's the M, it's next, there's C, you're almost done. There's the A, it's first, what's first is last, E-M-C-A, we're done. Pretty good, Waggle, but your A always looks like a two. Relativity, E equals MC squared. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. You kids is geniuses. E equals MC squared. I love that song. <laughs> well, um, by the way, Paul Rugg, everybody, in case you're not, you don't know, he has one of the highest trending videos right now on Facebook and, and things on YouTube of him petting his dog. Uh, yeah, it's th- relaxing. It's a relaxing. He's, he's talking about how he's relaxing, petting his dog, and his little dog starts attacking his fingers as he's petting. And it's a very <laughs> funny thing. Paul is such a create. You know, I've never met the man in person. I hope to someday, but he seems like one of the most, definitely one of the most hilarious creative people out there. He was putting out videos of this voiceover pamphlet for a very small audience. Some of the funniest videos I've ever seen. And he released this little dog video of him just petting his dog and getting attacked by his dog. And it gets picked up by some of these people who like to, you know, pull the best of the internet and then run it for other people. This video has been viewed by millions of people worldwide now. Unfortunately, not giving the creator credit like they should many times, saying it's Paul Rugg. But even kids at my middle school, my wife's friends at work are posting... (laughs) You know, and talking about this video, it's a, it's top trending. So, who knows? <laughs> I think he's uh, signed on with uh, a licensing company with oh. that video. So we'll we'll see. Oh. anyway, it's it's awesome, and, and he deserves all the attention he can get. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the next question here, I, I have a question here, uh, actually from my wife of all people. She wanted me to ask you. Uh, are there any animated series that you like watching today? Uh, any contemporary ones? For example, uh, she likes watching Rick and Morty and uh, BoJack Horseman. And she also says, a uh, little post note, she says, if you haven't seen them, that you're welcome to come over and binge watch them with her because she'll order a pizza. Oh, that's good. That's great. Well, I like pizza and I, <laughs> I, I like uh, Rick and Morty a great deal. I, I you know, I don't think I get the Horseman show uh, as much as I uh, appreciate Rick and Morty. I'd say uh, my favorite show isn't necessarily the newest show, 
but it's still being made and I like it a lot. And that's South Park. I, I really, uh, uh, I, I do love South Park. Um, and I probably haven't seen an, enough of all the stuff being made. Uh, so that's about where I am on that. Okay. Nathan. Yeah, I have a question from um, Ariana uh, at Aria Cartoonist. Are there any unaired episodes of Animaniacs? Uh, there are some Tiny Toon episode pencil tests, or, uh, some Tiny Toon episodes that never made uh, the light of day because the pencil tests were so bad. We said, "Oh, let's abandon this." <laughs> so uh, there's that. Those exist somewhere. Um, there is one Animaniacs episode. Uh, that is a, uh, we took an existing episode and we had the cast come in and they revoiced it with foul language. And <laughs> <laughs> so there's a half hour of Animaniacs just swearing up a storm and insulting each other. And it's, it's hilarious. Uh, so that's the one that hasn't aired. <laughs> My guess is that it probably will I, not I, air. I, I Stay not aired. Right. Well, I'm the, I believe I'm the only one that actually has a copy of it. So <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm uh, ready to accept uh, offers in the six figures. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, this is from Maria. Maria Emma 16 at Twitter. She wants to know what you liked working on the most, Animaniacs or 7D? Uh, very, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, they're, they're made under two very different processes, and I appreciated both of the processes. Animaniacs offered me incredible, uh, and, and everybody on it, incredible creative freedom. Uh, we literally could do like any cartoons and stories we liked because that's what the marching orders where we were just make funny cartoons and we were allowed to do that. We, we could make cartoons about almost anything. Uh, we often would want to use our main characters, uh, but we had great freedom and we had a great group of uh, great creative people. We had a great budget. We had good music. Now, 7D is uh, a different process in that I was brought in uh, with a, to a property that existed and the designs existed. So I wasn't getting there, uh, opening it up by st at, at the beginning, uh, starting from scratch. I was uh, sort of uh, working on the process uh, a little bit late into it. And I got to say that I, I loved all the people I worked with on this show. Uh, and uh, I would have loved to have continued the show, too. So... I'd say uh, I, I really enjoyed the process, but uh, probably Animatics had a creative freedom that uh, I had never experienced before or probably after. So this next question here is from Malik, uh, who asked us on Facebook. Uh, you guys had free reign to use the Looney Tunes characters in the show, and I had read a f in a few web pages saying that Egghead Jr., from the Foghorn Leghorn cartoons, was planned to have his own bit on the show. Can you recall if that's true or not? And um, uh, just so the listeners know, uh, Egghead Jr. was kind of like the little uh, chick with a uh, yellow chick with big, big nerdy glasses on. That's all I really remember from him. So any truth almost to that? Like, almost like Tweety Bird's head yes. with big nerdy glasses. Yeah. Um, I... I 
I definitely recall Egghead Jr. in the model pack uh, of drawings. Um, I think uh, it, it was during the transition from Tiny Toons to Animaniacs. So I think we were throwing around a bunch of different ideas of what segments could be on Animaniacs. And he was among the candidates for uh, inclusion. Um, and, uh, but he didn't make the cut, you know? Mm -hmm. I think we may have pitched him, but I, I know he didn't make the cut. Mm -hmm. So there's some questions from our uh, the fans about the comic book series. So I don't know how much uh, uh, input you had on that, but like for instance, there was a fourth sibling uh, mentioned in the comic book series. Was was that ever uh, planned to put that fourth sibling in the actual show? Isn't uh, comic books are fascinating. I've been uh, following recently uh, working at Disney. There, uh, Disney comics. Uh, just amazing what they do. I mean, there, there's a whole series of Mickey Mouse Disney comics in Italy where it's like almost like uh, Raymond Chandler uh, detective stories with Mickey as the lead. And it, they're very somber. And it's fascinating how they take these cartoon characters and put them through uh, permutations. And I, I find it very interesting. And similarly, uh, here we find in, in Animaniacs, they'll, they'll, uh, in the comics, and there, there was a pretty good run. Uh, they would introduce new ideas, new concepts, new characters, just like you know in Duckburg with, with uh, Donald in his comics. They would have all sorts of new characters. Anyway, our show had three siblings. It was a pretty good number. It. it they're easier to animate than four siblings. <laughs> and uh, they, they balanced each other very well. So we didn't, ha we didn't feel we ever had a need to introduce uh, other uh, siblings. Um, not that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think if we haven't heard about them for 25 years, it's like maybe they're family secrets you don't want to know about. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like their secret uncle or something. Yeah. That heard. We, uh, <laughs> speak of him. <laughs> right. Um, uh, as a quick follow, like so, the the name Yakko Wacko and Dot. There, there's a fan theory of that Dot was the period after Warner Brothers. I, you I know, but wanna... I, I want to say <laughs> right here and now, I want to say that yes, that's what we planned. Oh, I mean, that was our <laughs> idea, and we're really yes, we're that bright and. But, <laughs> Okay, good. I All love right. that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, it's really good. It, it's like one of those, uh, that, like you. I think you guys mentioned that maybe Pinky's the brain. Maybe he's the genius. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that too. But I, I find it difficult to justify. Yeah, some some episodes it's pretty hard. <laughs> but the dot is brilliant. Oh. Yeah, that. Uh, the... <laughs> I gotta give a lot of credit to whoever. <laughs> I, I thought that one up. No, I yeah, <laughs> exactly. So just a happy coincidence. But you you go ahead and take credit for it. You know, why not? Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, let's see. Kelly, what do you have? I wanted to know how Bernadette Peters got involved in the show because, I, I mean, I usually associate with her with movies and Broadway musicals and things like that. And for her to voice uh, Rita, what, what led you to choose her or did she approach you? How did that work? I know that... Uh, Andrea Romano, when she saw uh, that Rita was going to be doing a lot of singing, that she was a beautiful cat, 
her literally uh, Andrea's first reaction was, we should try to get Bernadette Peters. And I know Andrea wooed Bernadette Peters and told Bernadette that it was a big Steven Spielberg production and uh, Tiny Toons has been successful. And uh, Bernadette was uh, enthusiastic. She was a little concerned about having to fly out to LA very uh, frequently. And so we managed to uh, book her to do several shows at a time. And so she didn't have to make too many trips from New York. Uh, But she, she, I'll tell you what, when she came in and did a song, the song in its scratch form, which would be what she would be delivered a few days ahead of time, would be, you know, Richard Stone or, or one of the Bernstein sort of singing this little ditty. And you thought, oh, my gosh, it's it's a very simple little thing. How is this ever going to be, you know, a, a song worthy of the voice of Bernadette Peters? Well, she can she could turn the phone book into an aria. <laughs> uh, she uh, she would take this song and the sessions would last longer than most, you know, for just uh, most of our guys has come in. Oh, you want me to sing something? Sure. Da, 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 da. Let me out of here. <laughs> Bernadette really crafted these songs and did her own overdubs and uh, and they're beautiful. Somewhere I can hang my hat Somewhere for a dog and cat Somewhere just imagine that We'll find a place called home A place we've been searching for A place we've been waiting for so long We've been searching for so long A place called home They don't see us They'll never know But they could be us Like that, just like that Out here in the shadows and out here There's a promised land out here We'll all understand And make this place our home This place our home And she has a great comic sensibility as well with her that was that was just you know fantastic especially with some of the episodes where she doesn't necessarily sing that much but boy oh boy she like a uh, the episode uh help me out with the title maybe Nathan the the one where they go to the the gorilla uh Oh, uh, Kiki's kitten. Kiki's kitten. Yes, with Kiki. That was. That's a funny. That's that's a Deanna and Sherry script. A very funny script. <laughs> well, um, let's see. Uh, uh, girls in the mist. Yeah. Yeah. Gr- yeah. Gorillas. Gorillas in the. Or gorillas uh, in, the, in the mist. And then uh, there was gorillas uh, uh, putting on the Ritz. I believe as well. Doing. <laughs> doing. Um, I think, uh, Rita got beat up in that one. Oh, she she, yeah, she, she did. I don't think she slammed. really. I don't think she really sang. Maybe she sang a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> but mostly that episode, she's just getting pummeled quite a bit. Uh, the poor kitten right there. So anyway, <laughs> I think we were getting bitter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so 
you know, Tom, we, uh, when you were last on the show, we were, we were going through your Wikipedia page. And one last note uh, we, we didn't talk about. I really wanted to, to bring it up on this discussion. But in the Wikipedia page, it says that your sons are the primary, in, the quote, primary inspiration behind Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. Um, and that to me just kind of said, well, that's kind of cool if that's true. But is that true? Well, I, yeah, it's true because it's interesting that Yakko, Wacko, and Dot have a, a certain hierarchy, and they have a, they have certain roles they play as siblings, just as uh, each of us, you and Nathan and, and Kelly. If you, do you have siblings, Kelly? I've got three. And <laughs> we all play roles in uh, whatever systems we uh, in which we grew up. So. Uh, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, definitely, uh, you know, there's a pecking order. Yakko is clearly the uh, kind of the older brother boss. And then uh, uh, Wacko is sort of the, uh, I don't know, uh, the, well, in my, in my case, it's Nathan, Luke, and Cody. And uh, uh, Nathan is, was always sort of the leader, the instigator. And <laughs> Luke was sort of uh, the sweet, tough guy in the middle, and uh, uh, Cody was sort of the, the cute, zany one. And these these roles sort of made it easier for me to see who the Warners were and, mm. and who they could be. And, and also just the, the pecking order, the sibling uh, rivalry uh, kind of made a lot of sense. Uh, initially... Everything that's in I'm Mad was some of the earliest stuff I wrote for uh, uh, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. All the things about, you know, uh, annoying each other. The, the gag about peeping. Uh, I don't want to hear another peep. Peep, 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 peep. Uh, <laughs> and, and they really could be very annoying, my kids. So, uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of that, too. Yeah. Um, so... Uh... Uh, Tom, in, in Wacko's Wish, uh, Yakko talks about the Warner's parents, um, but do they actually have parents, or are they just pencils, as they are stated in Dracula, Dracula? Very good question. Uh, now, as we know, in Wacko's Wish, uh, in this movie, the, the Warner's and all the characters are sort of playing roles. Uh, they're not, the Warner's aren't at the water tower in Burbank. Slappy isn't uh, in her tree in Burbank. In, in, they're in a village. Uh, it's in, clearly in Europe. It's snowing. <laughs> I mean, uh, so they're playing roles. Uh, they don't live in the tower. And uh, for me, uh, the characters themselves uh, really are alive. They, 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 they have personalities that, that, uh, that work on screen, and then they have personalities that I think are sort of their off-screen personalities. So, in in while they'll joke at Dracula and Dracula about their parents being pencils, that's clearly I think a, a clever use of uh, Pennsylvania. I think it's just a, it's kind of a, a verbal gag. Here in this movie, uh, it's it's a story. So we're saying they have uh, these parents who were royalty. Um, now the truth is. These, these characters are, are, are fun cartoon characters that were created, but 
again, I, I feel like they kind of live uh, as uh, our fans know that they live as they live as creations and they live in our hearts and in our minds and as great cartoon characters. And but I think off screen, uh, their lives are very different than uh, what we see on screen. I think off screen, uh, we I happen to know that Wacko is sort of a player. Uh, I think uh, he has a very active social life. Dot uh, off screen, she's extremely wealthy and she lives in Beverly Hills. <laughs> And uh, Yakko, who, uh, you know, he always likes to keep his hand in the business. He's, he's a true comedy expert who makes he makes a fortune uh, anonymously uh, punching up scripts for Stephen and others. Um, <laughs> he completely wrote Deadpool. He rewrote it. <laughs> uh, Knew it. And, and their parents, the question being specifically about uh, the Warner's parents, their parents are very much alive and uh, own an animation art gallery in Pacoima. <laughs> so so uh, that's just the answer to that. Okay. They're not pencils. They're not pencils. Okay. No. Only long questions, questions. I'm sick of questions. I will answer no more questions today. Well, Tom, thank you so much for the answers to those questions. Some very good information right there. Uh, listeners, if you would like to ask Tom some questions, you can reach out to us on Twitter, on Facebook, and of course you can go ahead and email us as well, which is animaniacast at retrozap.com. And you just might hear your question next time Tom is on the show. Let's go ahead and get to some other contact information. So, Nathan, where can people get in contact with you if they'd like to say hi? Well, I'm on Twitter, uh, DjangoFT. That's me. And, Kelly, what about you? I'm also on Twitter, Yoda Princess, Y-O-D-A-P-R-N-C-S-S, or email me, Kelly, at BigShinyRobots.com. And like I said, the Animaniacast is on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and... I think we have a Google Plus account as well. We're, we're everywhere. But another great place to go for all of our previous episodes is over at animaniacast.com, where you can see a full listing of all of our previous shows, show notes, etc., etc. And, of course, uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast listener that you use. Tom, thank you once again for being on the show. Thank you. And uh, next time you're on, uh, we'll, say we'll, we'll meet up again in October. And next time we're on, we're going to talk about not only how the directors and animation studios were all selected and things like that, but we'll start getting into the voice talent and uh, what it was like to work with them. So uh, it's exciting stuff coming up, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, Tom, thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to you in a few weeks. Beautiful. Thanks. All right. Well, for Nathan, Kelly, and Tom, this is Joey saying... Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. This podcast is not endorsed by Warner Brothers or Amblin Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Animaniacs, the Warner Brothers logo, all names, pictures, and sounds of the Animaniacs characters or any other Animaniacs-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Warner Brothers, Amblin Entertainment, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Animaniacast unless otherwise indicated. My laugh was funnier!
John would say the asshole in the retail formula it works. That might not be politically correct, but that could be the secret to the greatest animated TV series of our time. Ren and Stimpy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. The Ren and Stimpy story is a feature-length documentary you're not going to want to miss. Happy, happy, joy, joy is an entertaining look at a show that changed television, animation, and kids' comedy forever. To read more about the movie and see how you can be a part of this historical event, Go to Ren and Stimpy Doc. That's Ren and Stimpy Doc.com.